You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. everybody. How you doing today? Good, good. Beautiful weekend. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if we hadn't, haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Lance, and this is my wife, Jennifer, and we help lead Calvary Unplugged, which is our weekly Saturday evening, evening gathering. And uh, this morning, we want to continue the series that Nick and Heidi started last week on Happily Ever After. And, and if you missed it, they talked about the fact that healthy relationships, uh, and especially healthy marriage relationships, go way beyond compatibility. You know, we hear a lot that it's about compatibility and it's about getting along and all that stuff, and that's a part of it, but it's about choices. It's about a choice, and and what they really talked about last week was from Ephesians 5 that we have to make a choice to mutually submit to one another, and what that means is I'm going to serve the needs of my spouse over the needs of of myself. So what we want to do this morning is uh, we want to tell you a little bit about ourselves and, and our history and our story and just give you some things that we've learned uh, over the years. And we're going to talk about um, a choice to continue to love and what that really looks like and what that means. But before we do that, I'll let my wife just give you a little bit of info about us. Well, we've been married for 23 years. It'll be 24 on August 21st. Um, we have three kids. Our oldest daughter, Alex, is 22, and our son, Brendan, is 21, and our youngest, Gabrielle, is 18. Yeah, and that's the graduation picture from Gabrielle from this uh, last June. Um, so yeah, they're an interesting bunch, them, and uh, I let her handle that dates and ages and stuff because, well... I'm a guy, right? And we don't remember those things very well. But uh, I'm kidding, kind of. Um, I do remember our very first date, and I didn't have to ask her ahead of time uh, if this was correct, but it was October 4th, 1994. That's the very first time uh, that we, we had gone out together, and Jen came to the store that I was working at at the time. I was youth pastoring, and I was working for a sporting goods store, and uh, I had tried to set up something for us to do earlier uh, in the week, and it, it didn't work out, and she came in, and, and she was being very nice, you know, uh, to me, and she said, well, maybe we can do it again some other time, and I'm really shy and introverted, and I said, well, how about tonight? Um, my shift ended for in a half an hour, so I figured, hey, might as well go for it, and uh, she, she accepted, and we went out to get some ice cream, some cheese sticks. Um, we went to the beach for three or four hours and just kind of walked around, so that attempt of going out went much smoother than the first attempt of going out. Yeah, so his first attempt was um, on a Sunday night. He just came up to me and said, hey, a bunch of us are going out to Friendly's after church, and he was the youth pastor, so I figured, you know, he was, you know, him and a bunch of teenagers. So I said, well, you know, maybe. And so um, then later I decided, well, I'm just going to stay home and hang out, you know, with my parents, you know. <laughs> and anyway, so... Um, so I, uh, I, I, you know, sent somebody in to say, oh, she's not coming. She's going home. And they came back out and said, oh, you should have seen the look on his face. He, his whole face felt like he just, like, lost his dog or something. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, well, I feel really bad now. So on t- 
Tuesday, I went into where he worked, like he said, at Yankee Sports, and, um, you know, said, I'm really sorry about that. And, um, you know, but what I found out later, like years later, was um, there was never going to be a bunch of us going out to friendlies. So it was uh, really sneaky of him because it would have just been, you know, me walking in expecting a bunch of teenagers and just seeing a table with one person at it. So that was kind of sneaky way of trying to get your first date. It was creative. It wasn't sneaky. It was creative. You can't blame a, a guy for trying, right? But we, we all have, or at some point in time, will experience the exhilaration of love blossoming. And, you know, uh, that first attraction and those, those butterflies that come. And, you know, when interest is out there and then that interest is, is returned and, you know, romance is blossoming. And it's, it's like a fairy tale. And, and you know, we all kind of long for that, right? Right. <laughs> and who doesn't love a good fairy tale? So um, back, the, back at, you know, years ago, finding true love to me seemed like a fairy tale. Now, when I was a kid, there was Cinderella, there was Snow White, there was Sleeping Beauty, and then years later, there was like, you know, uh, Shrek and Fiona. Um, so fairy tale stories. Um, but before I get to our story that we're going to share with you, I just want to talk to you about a fairy tale that's actually a true story in the Bible. It's actually my favorite true story, and it's completely captured my heart. Like, when you think of all the famous Bible couples, um, these two are the best. There's just none like them. Um, it's, there, it's, not like, it's not like any story I've ever even heard, never mind that, you know, it's true, it's real, and it's in the Bible. Um, it's, a, it's the only story that I've ever known where God actually literally plays matchmaker in detail, and he picks out the perfect bride for the perfect groom, and it's just really, really cool. I just love this story, and it's the story of Isaac and Rebecca. So, as you know, Abraham was um, pretty old when he had Isaac. So, by the time it was time for Isaac to um, get married, Abraham was ancient. So, he calls in his best servant, his most faithful, loyal servant, his oldest, wisest servant, who is actually in charge of his entire household. And he calls him in and he says, I need you to go and find a wife for Isaac. You can't do it around here. You have to go back to my family and find a wife amongst my relatives. Um, so, you know, Eliezer was a little worried. He's like, what if I fail? You know, how am I going to know, you know, the right wife for Isaac? And Abraham says, don't worry. God is going to send his angel before you and you won't fail. It'll happen. So basically, you know, um, Eliezer agrees to the whole plan, and he sets out on his journey. He loads up 10 camels with a bunch of wealth and trinkets and gifts to give the family, and he sets out on this 500-mile journey to the home of Abraham's relatives. So after he gets to the end of the journey, he comes to a well that's right outside of the town where 
Abraham's relatives live. And he parks the camels by the water, by the well. And he once again starts worrying. And so he says, I'm just going to pray. So he says his prayer to God. He says, um, Lord, uh, you know, I know how important this is, but I need you to do this for me, for me to know that this is the person for Isaac. So it's about evening time when the women come to the well. And so the, the next person that comes to the well to draw water, I'm going to run up to her and ask her for a sip of her water. And she's going to say, I, sure, I'll give you a sip and I will also water your 10 camels. And um, this actually, this prayer was a really, really big ask because camels, you know, drink a lot of water. So basically it would be like, you know, if, if he said, instead of saying, honey, can you get me a glass of water from the fridge? He's saying, honey, can you grab this bucket and go fill up our swimming pool in the backyard, bucket by bucket? <laughs> so, I mean, it would like take probably seven, eight hours to water the camels. So he was asking a really big ask because no one's going to volunteer for that. So he prayed that prayer. And before his prayer even finished, he looked up and he saw Rebecca coming down the hill to the well. And she fills her jug and he runs over to her and he says, can I have a sip of your water from your jug? And she says, oh, sure. And she says, and I could also will water your camels. And so he, you know, knew then and there. And But at this point, my mind works in, in, in different ways. So I think to myself, okay, I wonder if he helped her. You know, like she's just sitting there watering, you know, the camels coming back with bucket after bucket. You'd think like a, a gentleman would, would offer to help. No, the Bible actually says he stood silently and watched her. So he, he watched her. <laughs> he watched her. <laughs> So Stop yourself, woman. <laughs> so um, he watched her fill, you know, the trough with, you know, watering the ten camels. So after that, he was pretty sure this is the one. But he asked her just in case. Okay, who's your family? And she told him who her family was. And it just so happened that, you know, Abraham's brother's son's daughter is who she was. So it was just amazing that God had just, you know, made this happen. And so she, he tells her the whole story. He said, well, let me tell you what, what I'm here for. And he tells her the whole story of Abraham's plan and the whole story of he just prayed the prayer. And, you know, and then he offered her these trinkets, which is a nose ring and bracelets um, were like engagement trinkets. And she immediately accepted and just like took off and left him in the dust and ran back home to tell her family what happened. And then by the time um, Eliezer catches up to her and gets there, um, he again explains the whole story from his mouth about, you know, everything that he just said. And the family, without hesitation, agrees, yes, you can take Rebecca 500 miles away, you know, where there's no planes, trains, and automobiles, mm -hmm. um, to, uh, to marry Isaac. And, um, and they knew it was God. They knew it was God they, without hes hesitation. And Rebecca agreed without hesitation. And so he gave them all the gifts and wealth and everything. And then he, you know, the next morning they pack up and head back on their journey back. And so at, as they near the end of their journey, it just so happens that Isaac is walking in the field and praying 
um, which he did often. He just walked the fields and he prayed. And when he looked up, he saw camels coming in the distance. And at the same time, Rebecca looks up and sees Isaac. And she immediately jumps off her camel and says, is this the man? Is this the one? And Eliezer says, yes. And so they run over to him and they tell them why, why they're there. And Isaac takes her to be his wife. And, you know, they just immediately, it's like love at first sight. And um, she actually ends up bringing great, great comfort to him on the death of his mother. So it's just a beautiful story. It's a story that I love so, so much. Um, I absolutely love how God brought them together and how the hand of God was in it. That's like Christian mingle on steroids, right? Like the, the, the bachelor has nothing on, on, on that story. Um, but I love the fact, and if you've never really read the story, it's in Genesis chapter 24, and it really is, it's about 60 verses, and it's a, an amazing, beautiful story. And what I love is God had a plan. He had a plan in that he had a perfect person for Isaac, he had a perfect person for Rebecca, and that he caused those circumstances to happen in such a way where they were able to find each other. And, and I know what some of you are thinking, man, I wish it was that easy, right? Like if, it, if I just just had a divine sign and I knew everything just fell in place. And it's hard to find the right person to begin and have that fairy tale with if you want. And it's, it's sometimes after we've had a, f a few failed attempts at that, we get gun shine. It's really difficult to get to the place where you're going to say, God, is this the person that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life. And I mean, as, as feelings develop, um, we begin to think things like, man, I really hate it when they're not around, right? And I, I love spending time with them. I'd love to spend more time with them. And that gets to the place where we say, what? Well, I'd love to spend the rest of my time with them. I'd love to spend the rest of my life. And what happens with those things that start as attraction and feelings? They migrate. And they migrate to a choice, a commitment, if you will, that this is the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And it's a commitment of love. And it's true. It's not as easy as that story, although I wish it was. And also you think, well, how do I know God's will? Um, how do I know? I mean, that's always, you know, sometimes it's, it's not as easy as, as you want it to be. Um, so I want to share something r very unique with you right now about our own story, um, about my own personal experience. Um, I just want to talk about um, a friend that I grew up with. Um, I grew up with her, but um, we got really close when we were in Bible college together. And she told me an amazing, amazing story that um, I want to share with you. And I just think it's so awesome. So my friend is from, from a very, very large family. And um, her dad did something really cool with each of her kids when they turned a certain age. So when they turned a certain age, he would pull them aside and sit and have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with them. And he would tell them, you know, one of the most important decisions you will ever make in your life is your spouse and your future spouse. And so what I really want you to do is I'm going to have you spend some time in prayer and study and seeking God. And you're going to um, go through God's word and just pray to God and ask him to reveal to you 
what is called a promise scripture. And this promise scripture will be a scripture that's just between you and God. No one else is going to know it. I'm not going to know it. No, you're not going to tell anybody the scripture. It's going to be just between you and God. But this scripture will be a confirmation of um, your future spouse because he will say this scripture to you and then you will know he is the one that God has chosen for me. And when immediately when I heard that, like my heart melted. I was like, I want that. I really want that. Like I've made so many mistakes in my life that I am not going to you know, make one of the biggest decisions in my life and just leave that up to my, you know, flawed heart. So I I immediately said, you know, I'm going to do this. And so, um, you know, I was in my 20s early and I said, you know what, God, I am, you know, asking you to give me that promised scripture. I, I will need that. And so I started to pray and fast and seek the Lord. And I was in Bible college at the time. This was like way before I met Lance. And I was in Bible college. And I, so I spent a lot of time, you know, every morning, every afternoon, every evening in God's word. And so a few weeks ended up going by until I finally forgot about my very fervent prayer. And I was just doing my regular Bible study. And um, all of a sudden, I was reading this verse, and it just jumped out at me. And I knew, like my heart knew. It was like a choir of angels saying in my head, like, oh, you know, like, this is the one. This is the scripture. I know this is it. I had no doubt. I was like, this is a scripture that my future spouse is going to reveal to me. And I will know that they are the one. Um, And uh, I will know this is my promised scripture, and this is going to show me that God has chosen this person for me. Yeah, so when we first started dating, it was, it was a long-distance relationship. I was youth pastoring. She was in Bible college about three years, uh, three years, wow, three, three hours away, three years to get to, take, to get to her. I don't know if I would have done that, but, um, but it, it was a three-hour drive. And you know when you're dating, right, you'll drive three hours in a snowstorm with bald tires, right? But when you get married, you won't, you'll throw the remote across the room to him, right? I mean, that's kind of how it happens, you know. Th- things change a little bit, but so... <laughs> I would go up to visit her um, as, as much as I could. And, you know, I was a youth pastor at the time, so I was working on sermons almost every single week. And, you know, this particular week, I, I just had this scripture that was impressed on my mind. I had no idea about what she had just revealed to you. And so I'm sitting across the table from her at Bible school, and I just start saying, I'm going to use this scripture, and I just really feel strongly about it. So I start saying the scripture to her. So I'm sitting there across from him at this really tiny table in the snack bar at the Bible college, and he very casually says my scripture word for word. Like my jaw dropped. I like, I got goosebumps. I like, I stopped breathing for a minute and I was just looking at him like, did he just do that? Did he just do that? So like, okay, so in Bible college, you don't just walk up to a guy and say, you know, hey, you're my future husband. God told me. <laughs> so that would be really rude and a little bit psycho. So I did not do that. <laughs> I played it cool. You know, I did not tell him about it until years later, like years later when we were already married, I finally told him about the promise scripture. But at that time I prayed it cool. I was like, oh yeah, you know, that's a really cool scripture. I think you should use that. 
Yeah, so if you will, it was kind of a fairy tale moment um, for us that I didn't even know know about at the at time. Like if if I knew like the gatekeeper was the right scripture, I would have just sat down, broke open the Bible, and read the whole thing. I figure I'm going to hit it eventually, right? But uh, it's it, it's it's hindsight, right? So, but it's true. In every relationship, there's those fairy tale moments. And, and those are so important. It's those moments that like really speak to our heart where we have these dreams and these thoughts and you know what's gonna happen. And we begin to feel a happiness that, yeah, we felt before, but now it's a little different. It's a it's a different kind of happiness. And we we feel an acceptance and a support and an encouragement and an affirmation that we've we've never really felt before. And as as men, you know, finding that person that really helps us to feel the affection and the respect and the love. I mean, when those needs begin to get met and nurtured, I mean, it is just a really, really special feeling. And, and it is fairy tale like Right. And also as women, although I don't want to speak for all women because everybody is, every person is unique, but there are a reason why romance novels and chick flicks are so popular with people. Um, the romance category alone in the book genres um, generates $1.44 billion a year. So there's got to be a reason for that, you know, something longing inside of us. So pay attention to this real quick, guys. <laughs> So what do women want, you know, like, you know, other than, you know, mowing the lawn and (laughs) other than we want, we want you to mow the lawn and do the dishes and laundry and help us around the house. Now, (laughs) what do women want? Um, In my opinion, and this is my opinion, um, we want to be highly valued. We want to be precious. We want to be important. We want to be treasured, irreplaceable, um, to feel like we matter, Um, And maybe this is all people in general. Um, We want to feel wanted, desired, and deeply loved. Yeah, as men and women, we really do have specific things that we really do long for uh, in our life. And some of it's a part of how we're wired and how we're wired differently. Some of them are very specific to us and, and who we are and, and, and how we grew up. And, um, you know, God really designed a lot of these things. They can be f- fulfilled in, in many relationships, but especially in that marriage relationship. Uh, and, and when it is, it's amazing. And, and again, those fairy tale, uh, wonderful moments are awesome. But we also know that there's another side to all of this, right? That as much as there's fairy tale and wonderful and deep needs being met, we also know that in every relationship, there can also be heartache. And that in every relationship, there's going to be at times disappointment. Uh, there's going to be pain. Um, we don't always see eye to eye. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, I'll take that too. Like, and we, we don't always get along. And, and we go through a lot of hardship. And we go through a lot of trouble. And, you know, as much as I see the hand of God in, in, in our story and how we came together, that doesn't mean it's been 
clear sailing for us our, our, our whole life. We, we've had a lot of disagreements along the way. We've had a lot of arguments. We, we've had some major arguments along the way. And, and you know, I'll, I'll say we've never thrown pots and pans, so we, we've done good there, right? Um, we've never done that one. Um, but man, we, we've had our issues. We've had our struggles. And um, <clears throat> happily ever after doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes it feels like happily never after, right? Like it's, it's not working out the way that we thought. And over the past 23 years, we've experienced all of this in our relationship. I mean, all of it. And sometimes it's lasted a day because one of us were having a bad day, but sometimes it's been a few days. Sometimes it's been a few weeks. And if I'm being really honest with you, we've had a couple of seasons over these 23 years that have been really difficult. We've gone to marriage counseling together on a few occasions for extended periods. We've asked each other the question, are we going to make it? Is our love going to stand the test of time? There's been tears. There's been anger. There's been silence. Right, men? There's been silence. You guys are doing very well right now. Good job. Good job. And the reality is, is, is I have a feeling that, that Jen and I, we're not alone in, in that reality. Right. As much as it can be a fairy tale, it can also be a fight. Um, like, for, we've had to um, fight for our relationship at times. Um, the scripture says to leave father and mother and cleave, which means basically to hold on for dear life. Yeah. That's a, that's a loose interpretation, but yes, like, hold on, because it's going to get tough. So what we want to do just really quickly in the last 10 minutes or so that we have with you is we do want to give you a little advice um, that we've learned over the years from the scriptures, from ourselves, uh, that will maybe hopefully help you to keep choosing your commitment um, and fighting for your relationship. So the most famous passage in the Bible on love, is, it's often referred to as the love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. And it, uh, it's read at pretty much every single wedding uh, that I've ever been to, and we've been to a lot of weddings. But what the, what the chapter begins by saying ultimately is this, that love is ultimate. Like, it is the greatest thing. Like, we're not going to read the whole thing, but he says, if you speak with tongues of men and angels, um, but you don't have love, and he, he talks about spiritual gifts, and he says, if you have the ability to prophesy, if you have the ability to speak forth the truth of God about the future, but you don't have love. And then he says, if you have the kind of faith that can move mountains, like if you just believe things can happen in incredible ways, and if you have so much generosity that it overflows and it just does amazing things for the poor, if you have all of these things, the most coveted spiritual gifts, the greatest of faith, amazing generosity, but you don't have love, it all means nothing. So he starts this chapter by saying, listen, in life, love is ultimate. But he doesn't stop there because at the end of the chapter, when he's concluding it, he says at the end of everything, when everything is done, when it's all sewed up here on planet Earth, only three things are going to last. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So he says, listen, 
Love is everything. Love is ultimate. And he says, love is enduring. It's the middle of the chapter that I find incredibly interesting based off of love is ultimate and love is everything. So the middle of the chapter is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So notice here in the middle of love is ultimate, love is everything, and love is enduring. I find it interesting that Paul doesn't talk about the butterflies of love, if you will. He doesn't talk about the fairy tale of love. He doesn't talk about the passion of love. He doesn't talk about the perfection of love. What's he talk about? Love learns to be kind. Love learns to be patient. Love is not easily angered. I read this, listen, I'm like, man, I got a lot of work to do, right? Love keeps no record. God's love, God's love in us in relationships has no tally sheet. Like real love keeps no record of wrongs. It perseveres. Listen, if love was simply a fairy tale, if love was all like the movies, we wouldn't need all these phrases tucked in the middle of this love chapter, would we? All we would need is the beauty of what that ultimate enduring love looks like. But here Paul champions the endearing and the enduring aspects of love. And he says, listen, if you're going to truly love, you need to do it when you don't feel it. When you are angered, when you are wrong, when your patience is running thin, that's when love is really love. When you choose to love, when you don't feel it like maybe you once did. True love, real love, cannot be wrapped up in a two-hour movie like we see. Any relationship that's going to last, any marriage that's going to be truly happily ever after is going to have to choose love, not just feel love. We need to feel love. It's an emotion that gives us the ability to enjoy our marriage. But we will also need to choose love to ensure that our marriages are unbreakable. Love never fails. So here we are, three things really quickly where you need to choose love in your relationship. The first one is this. Choose love even when expectations differ from reality. Choose love even when expectations differ 
from reality. Much of our unhappiness in life and relationships is tied to unmet expectations. And I think this is really, really true in our marriages because we want the fairy tale. We want the movie. We want that feeling that everything is just right? Like we want that. We, we long for that. I remember early on in our marriage, you know, we came in with unmet expectations and we came in with expectations that the other one didn't even know about. Like we weren't even aware of it. We were driving down the parkway about a year into our marriage and my wife just starts crying. And I'm like, I'm not speeding. I'm not tailgating. I don't have any road rage at the minute. What's going on, right? Like what just happened? And you know, she just starts to share. We just had our first daughter a few months earlier, and there's a lot of extra responsibility with that. And you take and you put that responsibility on top of all the house responsibility already, and it was just a lot of responsibility. And she says, I feel like I'm alone. I feel like I'm not getting the help that I need. Well, I grew up in a house where my, I was the youngest of nine kids. My dad, all he ever did was worked, right? And so he was always working. And when he came home, I never saw him do a dish. I didn't have the expectation going into our marriage that I was going to be doing dishes and laundry and all those things. It's not that I was really opposed to doing those things, but I didn't have the expectation. And that's just one small little snippet. But listen, when you enter into a relationship with another person, they're going to have expectations. And so are you. And the challenge is if you're not communicating about those expectations, it's going to create problems. See, when Jen came into the marriage, she was thinking we were going to do everything together. We were going to do ministry together. We were going to do housework together. We were going to handle the kids together. And when we're doing all that, we're going to have time for romance and time for date nights and all of that. And I went into the marriage thinking she would worship the ground I walked on. <laughs> <laughs> No, honestly, I went into the marriage thinking we would do everything together. And this is really important. Don't miss this. But our definition of everything and our definition of together was different. We both wanted to do everything together, but how we perceived that was very, very different. So you've got to talk about those issues. And here's the problem. If you begin to start talking about those issues and, and things don't really change, that's when we start drawing up lines in the sand. And that's where walls begin to come up. And it's very uncomfortable to say, listen, you're not meeting my needs right now in, in, in this relationship, or I need this from you. Those are tense. Those are difficult conversations to have. But you have to have them. And for some of you right now, there's a lot of silence in your home because you can't figure out how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And there's only one way to do that. You've got to keep talking. You have to keep talking. If you stop talking, things will not just drift towards getting better. You will drift apart there are going to be unmet expectations in your relationship. You have to talk about them. You have to be open and honest about them, no matter how tense or uncomfortable it is. So the first one is choose love even when expectations differ from reality. The second one is choose love even when people change, and they will. People will change, and not always in the way that we want. 
and we do want our spouses to change. Um, it's human nature. My elder clients are always asking me um, about Lance, did you get him trained yet? And then I always say, well, still working on it after 23 years, work in progress. I think it's going to be a forever work in progress, honestly. It definitely will <laughs> I mean, for both be. of us, not just, not just <laughs> him, for both of us. So um, when we sometimes think that we are the world's greatest change agents, um, but we're not. People will change over time, hopefully for the better. And only if you focus on yourself and what you need to do. When we're so focused on our spouse changing, we stop appreciating the things that we like about them. And we start getting focused on the things that we want to change. I think that's a really, really important point. So with so much focus on them changing, then we stop seeing the things that we can do to make the relationship better. Change starts with us. And don't wait. Don't wait one year, five years, or 20 years. The best fine time for change is right now. Yeah, if you get so focused on what they should be doing differently, you're going to really stop appreciating a lot of the really good things about them. And you're going to stop focusing on what you can do differently. And listen, change always begins with us as individuals. It's not what they need to do, it's what we need to do. And then lastly, we need to choose love in our relationships and not just feel love because people, people are imperfect. Listen, I know you know this already. Like the person sitting next to you, as wonderful as they are right now, you know that they are flawed, right? You can look at them right now and say, you are flawed. Yeah, you are flawed. Like, you know, but we, we, we all are. But here's what we have a tendency to do in our relationships. We, we love to play the blame game, don't we? We love to say that the things that are wrong in our relationship are all because of them. And, and, and listen, sometimes in our relationships, one person is more egregious than the other. But you put two people in one room, in one house, they're both going to be flawed. They have imperfections. And some of those are going to be small mistakes that they make. Again, they snap at you. They have a bad day. They lose their temper. Those things happen, right? They get frustrated because, you know, things aren't working out the way that they thought they would be. But then there's other things that happen over time. And listen, I think in Paul's passage Inspired by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13, I think the hardest one of those to, to, to love, to choose to love, is to keep no record of wrongs. But if you're going to have a healthy relationship that goes the distance, you're going to learn how, you're going to need to learn how to forgive. Right, and a, a cute little illustration on forgiveness I'm just going to read. On her golden wedding anniversary, my grandmother revealed the secret of her long and happy marriage. On my wedding day, I decided to choose 10 of my husband's faults, which, for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook, she explained. So a guest asked her, well, name some of his faults. To tell the truth, she replied, I never did get around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that made me hopping mad, I would say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of the ten. <laughs> <laughs> so the scripture, um, true love co covers a multitude of sins. 
True love covers a multitude of sins. And when I think of this scripture, my brain automatically links it to another scripture in Proverbs that says, the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. And to me, that means that, um, that, that he can trust her, that she's not going to go blabbing on Facebook saying, you know, he did this and he did that and this, what's wrong with him and name it. Um, and that's what that scripture means to me. It means that you can trust each other, that when you have your flaws, that's not what you highlight about each other. You highlight the good things and then you work on your flaws together in private. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think I think it's super important. One of the things we, we do or we, we, we are tempted to do when we're having trouble in our relationship is we talk to other people about it. And, and usually we don't talk about it in flattering ways or in ways that is actually helpful for the relationship. And if you want to talk to somebody about your relationship, you should really go to a counselor where you can both have part of that conversation, you know. Um, I know, again, in our life that has helped us when we've kind of hit some points where we were like, how do we work through this situation? How do we work through this circumstance? Um, but you need to protect one another. You need to honor one another. And if you're here today and, and, and maybe you're not married right now and, and you're kind of like, well, you know, that wasn't really for me. Well, one thing I'll tell you is you have relationships, okay? And, you know, um, there may be some relationships in your life right now where there's unmet expectations, where um, there's forgiveness that needs to happen. Um, so you can take the principles from this and, and use them in those situations, but maybe you're here today and you know, you're thinking, wow, I wish I would have heard this or I wish I could have, I could have used this five years ago or five months ago. And, you know, your happily ever after is now not an after. And you have a lot of hurt and you have a lot of pain. And you know, maybe you wanted to choose love and they no longer wanted to choose love. And what we would just say for you today is, you know, God is a God of healing. You know, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. A lot of times people don't really want that. They don't know what else to do. And, and, and our prayer for you today is that God would just bring such a sense of healing, such a sense of restoration, that maybe you wouldn't feel stuck where you are, but that there might be a, a future for you. And, you know, may, maybe you're here today and it started out as a fairy tale. And now all it is is a fight. You have to choose love even when you don't feel it. And you've got to try to work through that. Keep fighting because love never fails. And, and then lastly, maybe you're here today and it's a fairy tale. Can I just say love those seasons. Embrace those seasons. Enjoy them to the maximum. Because God does desire a happily ever after for your relationships. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, 
you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.